0: And I also think with the family vacation or the fancy clothes or the jazzy new car, people walk away with a tangible something in exchange for their currency. With therapy, there every time I go to therapy, I don't walk away with something that's tangible to show in return.
1: Does talking about your money make you cringe? Are you tired of fighting about finances? Do you want to stop sabotaging your financial happiness? then you are in the right place. Welcome to Breaking Money Silence, a podcast series aimed at helping all of us talk more openly about money. Your host, Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, is a wealth psychology expert who is doing what she does best, speaking about taboo topics. International speaker, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection, Kathleen understands money and our relationship with it. Over the past decade, she has empowered thousands of people to break money silence at home and at work. Now, here is Kathleen.
2: This episode is sponsored by Life Transitions by Dr. Amy. Helping financial advisors and their clients have deeper, more meaningful conversations so that life changes are better connected to financial plans. To find out more, visit DrAmy.Life. I am Kathleen Burns-Kingsbury, and I am here today with Amanda Copeland, and she's of Copeland Consulting. I'm going to take a minute and look at her bio, tell you all the great things that she's done. She's a mental health entrepreneur and thought leader who creates innovative solutions to fill gaps in mental health care system. Uh, This is very impressive. In 2014, she created and developed an idea for Mental Health Urgent Care Clinic and sold it in 2016 to create her current business, Copeland Consulting. And at that company now, and how I met her, it's a nationwide concierge mental health treatment team. I know that Amanda is very passionate about helping people achieve mental wellness. And we had a great conversation, maybe six to nine months ago, about money and therapy. So I thought I would bring her on for the Awkward Conversation series And the awkward conversation that sometimes we have to have with our partners or our parents or our loved ones of, "Ooh, I need to pay some money for some mental health treatment. So welcome, Amanda, to the podcast. Thank you. So I'm just gonna jump right in because one of the things, most people in the audience know this, but I'll just start with. I consider myself a recovered therapist. I was a licensed mental health counselor for fifteen years. I loved the work. I honor and respect anybody who's still doing the work, but it, but it's hard. And one of the things that I noticed when I was in the field, and I notice now outside of the field, is that often people will spend a lot of money on a jazzy car on a great outfit, on a big vacation. but when you ask them to pay for therapy, even just outpatient therapy, it's like, oh, that's too expensive. So So Amanda, you know, having worked in the field of mental health for a long time and now as a coach, one of the things that always confuses me and I'd love your insight on this is why so many people prioritize like the jazzy new car, uh, the great outfit, or the great, you know, vacation in some tropical island over their mental health and well-being. Do you have any thoughts about why that is?
0: I have a lot of thoughts and I think it's very complex and multi-layered. I think Right now, we're in this era of self-care and wellness, and I think that a lot of people find it easier to call it things like burnout instead of depression. And Mm -hmm. so there's such a stigma against mental health issues that it's uh, more socially acceptable to say, oh, you know what, I'm burnt out, I need a vacation. Or, you know what, I need to go to the spa and get massages and that that will help with my anxiety or my depression or a variety of different things. And with the stigma, um, a lot of people can see mental health issues as basically um, a moral a moral issue. So for instance, you're choosing to use drugs. So no one forced you to use drugs and that's not... Um, you know, I don't use drugs. Why can't you not use drugs? This is a choice you're making. Or um, with eating disorders, the idea that you can eat if you wanted to, but you're choosing not to, and you're making it harder on the rest of us. And so the idea that your issues are burdening other people and the idea that it's by choice makes people feel like, well, I would want, I'd rather pay for things that I want and that I earned and worked for versus enable you in continuing this or, or like I had one mom say, pamper your feelings. Um, Oh, ouch. Yeah. And so I think there's getting to be more of an understanding about the lack of choice, but because it's behavioral instead of something physical like cancer, Mm -hmm. where nobody feels like, you know, you, you put yourself in a position to get cancer. It's easier to sweep it under the rug. I also think there's, a sense of like in, without filtering in any kind of way, this idea that you did this to yourself and you're also traumatizing me in the process. So why am I going to pay for someone that is hurting the family? Also what it means is if you have other kids or retirement funds or other things that you're investing in, you are making a bigger sacrifice in order to help that person without a guarantee that it'll work and without a guarantee that they'll invest in it. And I think that is the hardest part. I think it's easier for people to pay for it when somebody is raising their hand saying, I need help. As opposed
2: to you have to go because you're out of control. Your mental health, whether it's eating disorder, substance abuse, it could be anything. I, I agree with a lot of what you're saying. I think one of the things that You know, I also think as a factor is, you know, sometimes therapy, rightfully so, can be a little painful, like looking at ourselves and exploring. And certainly for parents, if they're engaged in any family therapy, you know, there's it's not all, um, you know, no, it's not like fun, like a vacation. Uh, It certainly is well worth the investment. Uh, And so part of me feels like, you know, it's it's also a really easy excuse to say, well, you know, we don't have the money or we're not going to put the money as opposed to maybe the real thing is we're really scared that this treatment isn't going to work or we're really scared that we're going to have to look at our family during this particular treatment. What are your thoughts about that?
0: I agree. And I also think with the family vacation or the fancy clothes or the jazzy new car, people walk away with a tangible something in exchange for their currency. With therapy, there. every time I go to therapy, I don't walk away with something that's tangible to show in return.
2: Yeah. Although I have to say, and I'll be very public about this, with without therapy, when I got therapy, I wouldn't be sitting right. Here, right now, interviewing you, I wouldn't have had the career I had. I wouldn't have the lovely family I have. So, you know, I guess it's more of a long term investment as opposed to a short term gratification. And I think the other thing before we kind of move on is that stigma. Like, nobody said, Oh, you wanted a vacation, as opposed to, Oh, you went to therapy. Although I think that's changing with the younger generations.
0: I, yeah, I think with the younger people, everyone talks about the therapists that they have, and it's now popular and cool with it, the younger ones. But the other piece of it is that when you're opening up something that's so vulnerable, you fall apart in order to come together. And when, the, when people fall apart, everyone around them says, see, it's not working. You're getting worse. You're getting worse. And so then they cut it before it has a chance to really bring something uh, beautiful to fruition.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's true. And I think the flip side of it that I also you know see even more clearly now that I'm not in the field is that there's a lot of resistance for therapists to talk about money. There's even mm-hmm. a statistic out there that therapists, when you look at their money personalities, and this is a little bit of an older statistic, but it, it's like 70% of them are money avoidant. So you not only have a client that maybe is you know, struggling to talk about the cost of care, you have you may have a therapist who has trouble talking about the cost of care.
0: Yeah. Right? I think for females, a lot harder than the males. I know a lot of male therapists that have no problem talking really? about- Really? Yes. And um, the value that they offer and take it or leave it. If you don't want to work with them, then there's insurance. There are other things that you could use. You don't have to work with them specifically, and that's a choice you can make. A lot of the female therapists I know feel very differently. They, they do feel like if I say no, then that means therapy is only for rich people. If I say that I won't adjust my price to a sliding scale, then that means that I am capitalizing off of someone's suffering versus making a sustainable living in exchange for helping someone heal. And I think women are conditioned um, to believe that caretaking roles should not be compensated. And you should be doing it out of the goodness of your heart. And that creates a huge conflict.
2: Yes, that's my short answer for, wow, that's a whole show unto itself. But do you have any sense, other than women are socialized, like I think of all the mothers that don't get paid and people don't act like that's like, I didn't sign up for that job. So I know (laughs) what a huge job that is, Amanda. Uh, Do you have a sense of why there's such a gender split beyond that? Is it is it training? Is it do you think the male therapists talk with each other? I don't know. What do you think it's about?
0: I think that males have almost a better mentorship program amongst themselves <laughs> where yeah. they talk to each other about things like money and pricing and the value of themselves should be reflected in the price that they charge. And um, it's okay for people to take it or leave it. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean anything about them. It means something about the value somebody else sees in that service or whatever that is versus the guilt that women feel and the lack of mentorship amongst women where other I've had therapists tell me that they had women actually criticize them for charging more than $100, which I yeah I mean that to me was like ouch but it was formative for those women in terms of like they they have a block where it's like they can't get themselves to charge above a hundred dollars because of what it'll mean in terms of their character and that's really really sad to me and I think for me being able to charge more allows me to one, invest in the people I serve and two, provide scholarships for people that genuinely need it. Not the people that are between, I have to sell my second home or third home and or do therapy. Yeah. Um, but the people that are like, I'm now choosing between rent or eating and therapy. And yes. yeah, Yeah. so that I I think is really critical to understand and to evaluate for yourself. I don't think that you can really, move forward and helping people with that unless you look at your own money issues in the blocks that you have.
2: I think that's really important and in fact when I started in money psychology one of the groups that I really wanted to work with more was therapists. and so for my own self-preservation and I think it made sense to go off and leave that field and kind of come back to it a little bit more now was you know I realized pretty quickly that people were so blocked and so committed to under earning and this isn't everybody. But that was the culture that I thought if I want to get out from underneath under earning, I've got to go into another field. And so, you know, made it work for myself and certainly do some work with therapists now around coaching, negotiation, that kind of thing. But it is so interesting, um, the different mindsets. So you have the clients who maybe are ambivalent about talking about the money. You have the therapists that are maybe ambivalent about talking about money. So here's the million dollar question. How do people listening in start to talk with their family members, their loved ones, or maybe with their therapist directly about the cost of treatment?
0: I think when I talk to families about it, the easiest question for me to ask is, if this was cancer, how far would you go? And that puts it in a different framework for them versus Mm -hmm. all of the underlying feelings, Conditioned responses, stigmas, values that they have related to mental health issues because people don't, like I said before, typically think
2: that cancer is your fault or that cancer is in your control to cure. And, and so, we all know that addictions and eating disorders and is not in in the client's control. believe me. And, and I know you know this, but for the people who are listening in, you know, really talented, wonderful people are really struggling. And it's not their choice. It's like, you know, they won a bad lottery. Yeah.
0: I, I, there's so much that goes into it between genetic loading, environmental circumstances, trauma, and we can, we as therapists know that is not your fault, but but the general public isn't always there yet. And what I say to people when they criticize people who don't know is, all people know is what they've been taught. They rely on somebody to have a different conversation, teach them something different. So for those that believe it is a choice, being open to the idea that it's not is really critical to being willing to support somebody with a mental health issue in the same way you'd support someone with cancer.
2: And what, I don't know if you can share, but like, what's a typical response that a family member or that a client will say about investing in cancer treatment versus mental health when you raise that issue? Like what are some of the responses that you get? So I've had
0: some dads yell at me and say stuff like you're asking me to choose between the life i've always built and helping someone who doesn't want help. And if he or she had cancer, then i'd assume that they'd want the help. You know, that's one response. Other families sit and say, "Okay, i'm willing to sell our second home and yes, we worked for it. Yes, we saved our whole lives and that was something we were going to pass down in our family and have, but Also, what's the point if we don't have a family anymore because this is destroying us? I think that the response is also contingent upon where they are in their journey with mental illness. So if somebody is not that bad, then it, it changes people's idea of what's needed.
2: Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to take a quick break. There's a lot to follow up on that, but right now we are with Amanda Copeland of Copeland Consulting, and we're talking about sometimes the awkward conversation of saying, hey, mom or dad, or hey, hubby or partner, I need some money for mental health treatment. So we'll be back in just a second. Hi, this is Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, and I just wanted to tell you about a new exciting program. It's for business owners because many business owners, we spend so much time delivering our products and services, but we fail to set up a system to actually make sure we get paid every month. You deserve to get paid every month. If you broke money silence and you ask for your fee, then it's time to figure out how to put financial policies and procedures in place in your business so you can continue to earn what you are worth. So I have developed a course called It's Time to Get Paid. It takes you through how to contract, how to set up a payment policy, and ultimately how to collect accounts that are past due. So I think you should check it out. It's only $27. It's a great investment for your firm. And if you are new to business or struggling in getting paid what you are worth, then it is time to check out It's Time to Get Paid. Go to courses.breakingmoneysilence.com and check out the details. I am here with Amanda Copeland. She is from Copeland Consulting. She does some wonderful work in the uh, therapeutic realm. And today we are talking about a topic that doesn't get talked about too much, which is money, therapy, and paying for mental health treatment. And so before the break, we were talking a little bit about you know, what are some of the ways in which you can approach mom or dad, or approach if you're a younger person, or approach um, uh, someone in your life to help with the payment of mental health treatment? And so th- it raises an interesting question. And I don't, I know you and I could go really deep into the therapeutic <laughs> issues around money. So we need to stay at a level that I think is not as deep as we probably would want to go. Uh, but one of the things that I think about is okay. I get that you need to invest in treatment. I think it's a worthwhile investment. I've been very public. I've invested on and off at different times in my life. And I also believe there are times when part of what's happening in the family is kind of this weird dynamic around money and treatment. I'll give you a concrete example to bounce off of. So this is a long time ago, but I can remember working with one young woman. I'm thinking she was in her early 20s. She did have a a job and her and she was very sick with anorexia and so she needed to be hospitalized i think it was her second hospitalization and i can remember working with her and getting her to a place of yes i need this treatment and then talking to the parents cuz she was one of these cases where she was sick enough but the insurance didn't see her as sick enough so it was this weird spot in terms of coverage and her parents like didn't want to pay, didn't want to pay. But then the next week she came in with a whole set of veneers on her teeth. And I remember thinking, what are the priorities? You know, your daughter eating disorders, you can die versus having her look a certain way. Now there is a lot there, but in general, do you find that, that it's, you know, the money is a great way to to talk about the family and to talk about some of the issues, not just with eating disorders. And I guess my second question would be, like, sometimes parents do the opposite and they pay for therapy and the, the, the identified patient doesn't have any skin in the game. So you can take it whatever direction you want to go, because I know it's a big question. It is a big
0: question. I've been in a similar position where I've had clients convince their parents all they need were breast implants. And then they could live with their body. You know, if yeah. I just had veneers, I could look at myself every day and I'd be okay if you'll yeah. just pay for that. And I think desperate parents and desperate people do desperate things. And it's really hard because I think sometimes they just want to believe that that's true. Then this nightmare could be over for all of us because it's not just one person that's impacted. It's a family, it's a family problem, a family solution. And ultimately, if you're taking it from a money stance, the veneers or the breast implants are going to be cheaper than long-term therapy and multiple treatment days that it typically takes. Yes. For-
2: which is crazy, but true.
0: Yes. And I think also because eating disorders tend to be a body problem, a lot of people want to believe it's a body solution. And so mm-hmm. if I can just fix the outside, I'll be okay. So yeah, I mean, it's complicated. I think as far as like paying for their children or friends or partner, I've paid for friends to do therapy before who genuinely couldn't afford it. And I see it as a worthwhile investment, obviously, because I'm a therapist. But yes. I think that being able to set boundaries around it, around where you're willing to invest your money, I think a mm-hmm. lot of kids see it as control. Oh, if I don't if I do not do this therapy that's, that my parent is paying for, then um, they're going to cut me off. And so they're controlling me. They're controlling me. I don't have another choice. And it feels like they don't have another choice because they don't have another source of income. But what you pay for, you tend to value more. And I think what you want, you tend to value more. So I think that when it comes to paying for therapy, getting conscious of what are you actually willing to pay for overall in their life so that they could have some area of investment where they still have to utilize what they learn in therapy to grow and find purpose and um, a a self-sufficiency in that versus everything's just handed to them and we're coasting by.
2: Yeah, I've actually had a client where I encouraged the parents to let her pay the copay. It was only $10, but it was something. So Mm -hmm. there can be all these different uh, solutions that can come up, but it definitely is, I think there's both the therapeutic issue and then there's just the concrete issue. And you just alluded to that about the cost of care. Do you have any stats? You may not on like what the average cost of recovery is. I didn't warn you, so if you don't, but it's it could be depending on the person, mm-hmm. I mean millions,
0: yeah, it, can, it can be. We have had people be in treatment centers, 14 different treatment centers, multiple detoxes, multiple hospitalizations, different levels with eating disorders from the acute medical eating disorder hospitals, mm-hmm. then over to the residential, then PHP, IOP, back up, then back down. Like It's not a linear process. And that's really hard for people to swallow and think, when will it end versus the cancer treatment that's pretty linear of okay, like, you know, for most people, this is going to be it, there are a few outliers, but the doctors can give you a trajectory and timeline related to that that's pretty consistent for most people. And that's just not the case with therapy, which is hard. And so the investment could feel like never ending. And even if you're doing outpatient, you know, you're still looking at $200 a week Mm -hmm. on an outpatient basis.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And there are resources out there, I just want to say, and we'll put some in the show notes around people who can't afford therapy, but need therapy. So we'll put some links in there because there are some options. Um, But as, you know, there's so much to talk about this topic of money and mental health. I think I want to get a little bit more concrete as we kind of wind down. So in your expert opinion, for the average client out there who is in outpatient treatment, maybe looking at, you know, potentially... Just to let people know, like an IOP is an evening program, outpatient evening program, a PHP is a day program, and then there's inpatient residential. And so when somebody's looking at a higher level of care or looking at, okay, I need to be in therapy for a certain period of time, do you have any concrete recommendations on how they can first start to think about the money piece and then have conversations as they need to about money and treatment with the people in their lives? Because I I just want to leave some people with some, some tactics. So tips for how people could talk about the money? Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think the biggest thing is looking at what you value in your life, looking at what you're willing to sacrifice and being honest about what you have. I think a lot of people can go into really bad debt over it. And also a lot of people aren't willing to sacrifice what they've earned for it even if it doesn't put them in a really bad position. But being able to have an honest look, not just in yourself, but with your partner, with your kids, whoever that is, about what it is you actually have to invest, and then being able to combine it with other resources like, you know, the insurance that you're paying for or anything like that, that is, it doesn't have to just be a cash investment. There are other ways to piece things together. And there are um, scholarships out there and, and different ways to actually complete the process
2: without having to lose your shirt over it. Mm-hmm. I think that's good advice. It's kind of looking at what do we have? What, what can we? What are we willing? And then for the person who is involved in all of these decisions, and it all depends on the age of the particular individual, it's really about what do we value? And mm-hmm. really thinking about. It. I'm all I'm all for spending your money in alignment with your values. And I think the other piece that people don't know is the idea that you can have a combination, like you just mentioned, of different types of treatment, payment, and payment plans. Um, and I guess I have the same bias. I'm guessing you do, Amanda. I I, I think therapy and treatment is priceless. So I would certainly want someone to invest in themselves because I've seen in so many instances that once you get through that, you know, the investment and the hard work, people just come alive. And and that is truly, truly priceless.
0: Yeah. I mean, if you don't have your mental health, you don't have anything. That determines the quality
2: of your life. It does. It does. So tell people a little bit more about what you do. And I know we need to have you back because it feels like this conversation has been way too short.
0: <laughs> I would love to come
2: back. Um,
0: so basically, I'm I'm incredibly passionate about helping families heal at home. Like I said, this is not a one person issue, and it's not a one person solution. So you, I say sending your your person who's struggling off to treatment is like putting a baby duck from an oil spill, putting it cleaning it off, and then putting it back in the oil spill and blaming it for getting dirty again. So it doesn't really make sense. The idea is to go help people where life happens and help the whole support system, which has frequently been traumatized, too, and help them all recover together. So we do that in the context of people's homes, whether it's having a coach live with you or doing something virtually or anything in between. It's
2: about programs for people, not fitting people into programs. I just love what you're up to. It's really cool. So tell people uh, where they can contact you if they want more information, uh, not only about your treatment options, but I also know you're doing more speaking and training so they can reach out about that as well.
0: Yeah. So I'm pretty accessible online. Um, I still answer my own admissions line, which is something I love. And so they could they could find me on my website at copelandconsulting.com. They could email me at amanda at copelandconsulting.com. Or they can call me at
2: 210-502-7222. <laughs> it is funny that the phone numbers are a little bit harder than they used to be. <laughs> yes.
0: I'm just a button now.
2: Excellent. Well, thank you so much for your time. And thanks for breaking money silence with me about mental health. Thank you so much for having me. This episode is sponsored by Life Transitions by Dr. Amy. Helping financial advisors and their clients have deeper, more meaningful conversations so that life changes are better connected to financial plans. To find out more, visit dramy.life.
1: Thank you for listening to Breaking Money Silence, hosted by Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, a wealth psychology expert, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection. If you like what you heard today, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app and leave a review. Also, share this episode with your friends and family. It is a great way to get the conversation started. For more money talk tips and information or to hire Kathleen to speak at your next event, go to www.breakingmoneysilence.com.